it is time for another QuackCast. If this is your first QuackCast and you were wondering, hey, what's this all about? It's a review of supplements, complementary and alternative medicine, hereby called scams. If you want more information, you can go to my growing multimedia empire at edgydoc.com. And if you're bored, you can go to iTunes and write me a glowing review. However, this is the 108th QuackCast, plus or minus two. It's called Scamlandia. I quite like Portlandia. I find it funny, and I think it captures a part of Portland. I recognize large swaths of the city's culture in the show. Other representations of the city, hmm, I recognize less. Sunset publishes beautiful photographs of the Northwest, but when I look at the photos, I think, that section of the city never looked that good. It's really quite wonderful how Photoshop can improve upon reality. Like most major cities, and I think Portland is a major city, it has a monthly magazine, the cleverly entitled Portland Monthly. The city represented in that magazine is mostly alien to me. I look at the advertisements, the articles, the photographs, and wonder, when did Portland become a city with an average seven-figure income? The Portland in which I grew up and currently reside is rarely found in the pages of Portland Monthly. If you are extremely well-to-do, and you need, say, plastic surgery, I suppose you are in the demographic of Portland Monthly. But when I flip through the pages of the magazine, I see little I recognize. But then I have never really completely abandoned the hippie grunge aesthetic of my younger days. Every January, they have a best doctor's issue. And no, I didn't get it this year. Thank you very much for asking. I have in the past, but not this time. And for the first time, they offer the Portland Alternative Medicine Guide. Well... Less than a guide and more an extended infomercial filled with, quote, facts, unquote. It is a difficult balance for your intrepid podcaster. I would like to be fresh with every podcast, display new insights, find undiscovered territories of terra incognita of scam, and put up signs that say, Sic hunt dracones, here be dragons. And above all, have new jokes, preferably at the expense of, um, oh, I don't know, somebody. I do not want to inadvertently offend readers. Oh, no. Uh-huh. So I won't tell who I want the jokes to be at the expense of. Some people are really thin-skinned. This podcast will fail those goals big time, since the Portland Monthly Guide, from a science-based medicine perspective, is one big pile of S-O-S-D-D. Same old stuff. Or you could use another word for stuff. Different day. We have been there. We have done that. We're going there again, and we're doing it again. The preface of the article. The article starts by noting Portland has three scam schools, with apologies to Brian Brushwood. Quote, the city is home to three nationally revered institutions. The National College of Natural Medicine, the Oregon College of Oriental Medicine, and the University of Western States, which graduates chiropractors, massage therapists, physical therapists, and nutritionists. End of quote. Right off the bat, the language lets you know the focus of the article. Revered? By whom? 
probably supplement manufacturers, but Pamois. All three institutions offer curricula that is based not upon reality, but upon a fictional understanding of the human body and health and disease. We have talked about those many times in the past on this podcast. The underlying silliness of naturopathic education has been discussed at length, but I will reiterate that, as always in my opinion, homeopathy, key, hydrotherapy, acupuncture, and chiropractic are a phantasm. Not as good as Batman Mask of the Phantasm, but a phantasm nonetheless. I find the fact that Oregon is home to three such institutions to be an embarrassment. At the turn of the century, Flexner took medical education off its anything-goes-including-magic approach and grounded medication in the sciences and in reality. As the Braverill report clearly demonstrated, our major medical centers are embracing non-reality-based medicine at a depressing rate, including my medical alma mater, Oregon Health Sciences University. Quote, Our leading medical research center, Oregon Health and Science University, has also fully embraced the trend, routinely collaborating with all three schools on studies that have proven everything from fish oil's ability to quell depression in people with MS to the positive effects of yoga for seniors. Or have they? They have kind of, sort of, but not with the studies mentioned above, which is a classic example of scam, bait, and switch, where variations on standard medicine, diet, and exercise are defined somehow as alternative and then used as a gateway supplement to transition into a justification of the fantastical alternative modalities. Of course, it gets to a definition of what you consider alternative Diet and exercise are not alternative in the same way that acupuncture and homeopathy are alternative. The former can be based on reality. The latter is always based on fantasy. Now, there is an association between omega-3 fatty acids and depression in multiple sclerosis patients. But it's not a very strong association. And as we all know, association is not causation. There is also a variable literature on the association of treating depression with omega-3 fatty acids. Some references are favorable and some are not. There may be physiologic validity to the concept, and OHS indeed did a study, Fish Oil in the Treatment of Depression in Patients with Multiple Sclerosis, which, according to the NIH website, has been completed four years ago and as best as I can be determined, has not yet been published in any journal. My Google foo may be off. All I can find is an abstract. Quote, Lynn Shinto, MD, and colleagues administered 6 grams a day of omega-3 fatty acids, fish oil, or inactive placebo, soybean oil to 31 people with MS who had mild to moderate depression for three months. Both groups improved on the depression scale. There were no significant differences. However, the omega group did improve significantly more than the placebo group on a measure of cognition, the PASAT. Further study is necessary to confirm this finding. End of quote. That's the proof. Seriously. An abstract that shows no differences between treatment and placebo. Ah, but that is the one continual difference between science-based medicine 
and scam. Science-based medicine has a commitment to, oh, 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 I don't know, the truth. Evidently not a high journalistic priority anymore, nor is fact-checking. Having taken fish oils in the past, I would be most curious how effective the placebo was at mimicking the fish oil, as I was always belching up the taste of old tuna. Yoga is a form of physical activity that should have benefits, although the article I find from OHSU was mm, not that impressive. Quote, Healthy seniors participating in a six-month yoga or exercise class showed no differences in cognitive function compared to a wait list control group. The yoga intervention produced improvements in quality of life measures not seen in the exercise group and also improvements in physical measures related to the intervention itself, e.g. timed one-legged standing and forward bending flexibility, end of quote. So yoga will make it easier to put your socks on in the morning. That's still one of the signs that I'm not yet over the hill. I can still stand on one foot, bend forward, and put on my socks. But it's a really weird paper. They say, quote, There was no effect of assignment group on any of the cognitive function or alertness measures, which included the primary outcome measures of the study. And they show the data. Then they say, the SF36 quality of life measure demonstrated a significant yoga assignment group effect on vitality, energy, and fatigue, role physical, bodily pain, and social functioning in the physical composite scale. There was no effects on mood assessed with POMS or CESD-10. On the MFI, reduced activity was better in the yoga group, but there were no differences in other subscales. End of quote. Fine. But they do not publish the data. You can't tell if the p-values are statistically significant and actually represent clinical significance. We have to take their word for it. So I can't say that they have really proven anything about yoga in the elderly. But then again, any kind of exercise in the elderly will probably be of benefit. And you don't need the mystical aspects of yoga to say that being physically active is of benefit. But then again, the only thing alternative about either diet or exercise is the advertising. Note I am only in the first paragraph of this article by Portland Monthly, and with just the wee bit of digging, which is more than the author evidently did, I find errors. My confidence in the veracity of the Portland Alternative Medicine Guide is fading fast. Quote, it is a capital mistake to theorize before one has data. Insensibly, one begins to twist the facts to suit the theories instead of the theories to suit facts. Sherlock Holmes would be aghast. Now we go to the third paragraph. Mind you, we're only to the third paragraph of the article. Quote, With 40% of American adults using some form of natural medicine, and a naturopath or acupuncturist seemingly on every Rose City block. Portland's the Rose City. We thought it was high time to provide a local primer. End of quote. <sighs> that old trope. The percentage of Americans using alternative medicines always rely on defining various forms of diet and exercise and relaxation techniques as somehow alternative. According to the NCCAM, the big three are natural products, supplements, deep breathing, and meditation. 
Hell, I use two out of those three. Use of alternative therapies is primarily for self-limited problems, including pain, and very few use alternative therapies for serious or life-threatening problems. But outside of chiropractic at 8.6%, most Americans are apparently not using the non-reality-based therapies that make up much of our revered school's curriculum. Chinese medicine. They start with Chinese medicine, and as always, they show an ungloved hand approaching needles inserted along someone's spine. Work has been progressively slow over the last decade as my health systems have been very aggressive at instituting policies and procedures to eliminate hospital-acquired infections, unfortunately with great success. I used to make a living off of hospital-acquired infections. No more. It is nice to see that acupuncturists continue to use the sloppiest of technique so that I might have an MRSA infection or two to take care of. They note that Americans' interest in acupuncture began in 1972. Quote, A press corps reporter named James Reston suddenly felt the stabbing pain, appendicitis. His surgery at Beijing's Anti-Imperialist Hospital, what a great name for a hospital. I would love to practice at the Anti-Imperialist Hospital, went smoothly, but for the severe abdominal pains that followed, which the Chinese treated with acupuncture. Reston praised the ancient technique in the New York Times, and American doctors took notice. End of quote. So what did Mr. Reston actually write about his experience? Quote, I was in considerable discomfort, if not pain, during the second night after the operation, and Li Chang Yuan, doctor of acupuncture at the hospital, with my approval, inserted three long, thin needles into the outer part of my right elbow and below my knee and manipulated them in order to stimulate them and relieve the pressure and distension of the stomach. That sent ripples of pain racing through my limbs. There's a great intervention. And at least had the effect of diverting my attention from the distress in my stomach. Meanwhile, Mr. Lee lit two pieces of an herb called, I can't pronounce it, I'm sure, A-I, A-I, which looked like the burning stumps of a broken cheap cigar and held them close to my abdomen while occasionally twirling the needles into action. All this took about 20 minutes, during which I remember thinking that it was rather a complicated way to get rid of gas on the stomach. But there was a notable relaxation of a pressure distension within an hour and no recurrence of the problem thereafter. End of quote. The Portland Monthly gets it wrong again. Considerable discomfort, if not quite pain, is not the same as severe abdominal pains. Post-operative gas, I know from experience, is unpleasant and rapidly self-limited. So you treat a problem that gets better on its own, then you credit the intervention. They note that traditional Chinese medicine includes the, quote, use of acupuncture herbs dietary therapy, moxibustion, burning herbs near certain points on the body, cupping, using heat in a glass cup to create a suction on the skin, and other practices to restore key or life force of the body. What they fail to mention, above all, 
is that nothing that they do has a basis in reality, and none have benefit for any objective findings and barely have any effect on the subjective endpoint of pain, and that the entire subjective effect of acupuncture can probably be accounted for entirely by bias on the part of the patient and practitioner combined with the natural history of disease. Someone mentioned that my humor is somewhat repetitive. Yeah, but can somebody write an article without avoiding needle puns? Nope. Quote, to the point, puncturing skepticism about acupuncture. Naysayers have long criticized acupuncture studies as being inconclusive. But last October, an overview published in Archives of Internal Medicine concluded that acupuncture outperformed over-the-counter pain relievers and other standard meds for people suffering osteoarthritis, migraines, and chronic back, neck, and shoulder pain. End of quote. Again, with the language, naysayer, eh, not a positive term. Here's the definition of naysayer. Someone who carefully reads the medical literature with an understanding of the various biases and methodological errors that can severely compromise the results of a clinical trial and put their results into question. Hmm. Yeah, I'm a naysayer. The well-done studies are not inconclusive for acupuncture. They demonstrate that acupuncture does nothing. The trajectory of acupuncture trials, as we have discussed at length, and I am using the royal we on this podcast, are like all clinical trials of treatments not based upon reality. That increasingly well-done studies demonstrate decreasing effect until excellent studies, those that remove all potential bias, reveal no effect. The most critical factor in clinical trials is blinding. If the patient or the practitioner knows they are receiving acupuncture or placebo, then acupuncture works. If the trial is blinded, acupuncture does nothing. To quote Dr. Novella, quote, The Vickers acupuncture meta-analysis, this is what was referred to by Portland Monthly, despite the author's claims, does not reveal anything new about the acupuncture literature and does not provide support for use of acupuncture as a legitimate medical intervention. The data show that there is a large difference in outcomes when an unblinded comparison is made between treatment and no treatment. An unsurprising result that there is no clinical relevance and says nothing about acupuncture itself. The comparison between true acupuncture and sham acupuncture shows only a small difference, which is likely not clinically significant or perceptible. More importantly, this small difference is well within the degree of bias and noise that are inherent to clinical trials. Researcher bias, publication bias, outlying effects, and researcher degrees of freedom are more than enough to explain such a small difference. In other words, this data is insufficient to reject the null hypothesis, even if we don't consider the high implausibility of acupuncture. Further meta-analysis itself is an imperfect stool that does not predict the results of large, rigorous, definitive clinical trials. The best acupuncture trials, those that are well-blinded and include placebo acupuncture, show no specific effects. A classic example of the problem with the meta-analysis. 
when you collect separate cow piles into one big pile, you don't get cold. You get a big pile of cow shit. They note that, quote, ear acupuncture, also called auricular therapy, has long been used to help wean people off of addictive drugs, including nicotine, end of quote. Well, it may be used, but that does not mean it is effective. Clinical trials assessing ear acupuncture have shown no efficacy for smoking, cocaine, or alcohol, and I could find no good clinical trials for heroin addiction. The National Acupuncture Detoxification Association has not been demonstrated to be either using their protocol. As is always the case, the better the study is controlled for potential bias, the less the effect. What probably matters is the relationship with the patient and not the particular scam, since even a staple in the ear has subjective effects. Quote, staple puncture which is the manipulation by hand of a surgical staple implanted in the concha of the ear, was reported to relieve withdrawal symptoms at least partially in 40% of subjects, end quote. And why Portland Monthly gave short shrift to hand, foot, tongue, Japanese, and the German map acupuncture, I do not know. Maybe, like trying to decide on a valid form of astrology, Indian, European, Mayan. The real answer is, they are all bunkum. Then the article follows with a local acupuncturist infomercial and an ear acupuncturist infomercial. Naturopathy. Naturopathy is based on a simple premise. Your body has the ability to heal itself. Today, Naturopathic medicine encompasses a wide array of modern and traditional therapies, including nutrition, herbal therapies, homeopathy, total nonsense, hydrotherapy, total nonsense, massage, and even Chinese medicine, total nonsense. End of quote. It is a simple premise until you realize that humans have used the bodies to heal since the beginning of time. And I guess the result has been endless early death and needless suffering. Large sections of the world still rely on the body to heal itself. Let's see a show of hands. Who wants to get their health care in Uganda? I thought so. I posed the question before. Have there been any scam therapies that have ever led to an improvement in the human condition? Or any quality initiatives to improve outcomes and increase patient safety? Or have any ever changed as the result of a clinical investigation? No, no, and hmm, no. However, naturopaths are trained in ineffective therapies and, as discussed in prior podcasts, usually have no postgraduate experience. Most are poorly trained medical students set loose upon the world to fiddle about with no supervision. That's my Tommy Who reference. It makes the next section, which is how to choose an alt-doc, all the more depressing. I do feel sorry for those who are trying to choose a doctor. There is no way for the average person to know what skill sets the doctor has and whether there is an issue that you will get along with your doctor. Not all personalities mesh. The Portland Monthly suggests a variety of essentially useless approaches for determining an alt-doc. 
as opposed to a Western doc, as reality-based physicians are referred to in the text. I wonder, since homeopathy and hydrotherapy are invented in the West, aren't naturopaths Western docs? I still prefer the term reality-based doctor, and that would suggest that a simple question be asked of an alternative provider. Do you use or think that homeopathy is effective? If the answer is yes, then the practitioner is divorced from science-based practice and should be avoided. Then there follows an infomercial for a herbalist shop and a naturopath who, surprise, sells her own line of supplements. Many alternative providers are their own big pharma. Just by coincidence, selling in their office the very thing you happen to need to get over your illness. No potential conflicts of interest there, are there? I wish I got money every time I wrote a prescription. Part of the infomercial that follows is a moving story of a woman with high-grade cervical dysplasia who is cured by a natural concoction of herbs. Quote, After less than three months of taking daily supplements, folic acid, selenium, vitamin C, green tea extract, and DIM, a concentrated nutrient that's found in broccoli and other cruciferous vegetables. I'm going to have to look up the word cruciferous when I'm done. It occurs to me I don't know what that means. And a suppository treatment that included vitamin A and green tea, her dysplasia had completely disappeared. My gynecologist's jaw dropped, Alan said. She couldn't believe it. End of quote. Well, that sounds like an impressive triumph of the natural approach, right? Well, maybe not so much. Although one has to wonder about her gynecologist since, quote, in women who are immunocompetent, many low-grade lesions will nonetheless eventually regress without intervention. Reported rates of regression range from 58% over 24 months. A very small percentage, 2%, will progress to high-grade lesions. In contrast, most high-grade lesions are thought to be much more likely to persist than to regress. However, reported rates of spontaneous regression vary from 6 to 50%, depending on diagnostic criteria and length of follow-up. The risk for progression to invasive cancer at 24 months in women with high-grade lesions is 1 to 2%. So, most of these high-grade lesions go away on their own. Well, maybe not most, but a significant percentage. So the natural triumph over cancer is much more likely watching a hopefully spontaneous resolution and taking the credit. That is cunning medical practice. When patients get better, take the credit. When they do not, blame someone else. Or they just came to me too late. I couldn't help. Touch therapy. Human touch is important. Monkeys who are groomed relax as a result of being touched, and everybody likes a good massage. Monkeys, at least, do not need to add a layer of nonsense to the mix. Quote, But beyond traditional massage to relieve pain, heal sports injuries, and quell stress and depression, there are other touch treatments like craniosacral therapy for muscular skeletal imbalances and Reiki a light touch healing for the body's so-called biofield. Very light touch. They don't touch you at all in Reiki. What follows then is a paean to craniosacral therapy. Sciencey sounding, but all sound and fury signifying nothing. 
Unlike transgressing the boundaries towards a transformative hermeneutics of quantum gravity, this was not meant as a hoax. The following is meant to be considered a description of reality. Quote, The cranial system, Jackson explains, is just like your respiratory system and circulatory system. It has a certain rate and cycle. All the fluids expand and contract according to this rhythm, he says, referring to the fluid that surrounds, protects, and nourishes the brain and the spinal cord. Jackson's job is to find the disruptions in this rhythm, the places where disease and discomfort usually lie, and palpate them, i.e. examine them by pressing with palms and fingers. I have covered both Reiki and craniosacrotherapy in prior podcasts. Both modalities are nonsense. The so-called biofield should be called the non-existent biofield. I mean, really, if we can detect the Voyager spacecraft over 7 billion miles from Earth, broadcasting with the power of a refrigerator light bulb, I think we could pick up a little biofield up close at hand, don't you? And did you know that the twists in yoga are good for detoxing? No wonder Chubby Checker looks so fit. Chiropractic. Chiropractors, who are like naturopaths or licensed as primary care doctors in Oregon, and that's scary, receive extensive training in nutrition. Students of the College of Chiropractic at University of Western States take, wow, 90 hours of nutrition instruction. Far more than MDs. Well, maybe they get more training in nutrition. In med school, it tends to be integrated into different parts of the courses. But they also receive extensive training in adjusting non-existent subluxations that have nothing to do with health and disease. And they have no training in cardiology, pulmonology, dermatology, gastroenterology, neurology, gynecology, obstetrics, infectious diseases, pediatrics, etc., etc., Remember, when you are done with your training in medical school, you are nowhere near close to being competent to take care of patients. And naturopaths and chiropractors have no postgraduate training worth talking about. What doctors learn during residency after graduating medical school is when they really learn how to take care of patients. The chiropractors and naturopaths are licensed to be primary care doctors is a triumph of the political process to the detriment of patients everywhere. Holistic Dentistry Well, they interview a dentist who thinks that mercury fillings are a toxin, despite all the data to demonstrate otherwise. I don't think the mercury in my teeth have hurt me at all, and I played with mercury extensively as a child out of thermometers. Mad as a hatter? <laughs> Not me. He makes an interesting statement about fillings that... Quote, they go in your mouth at 50% mercury, and when you take them out, it's 20% mercury, end of quote. You know, I can't find this anywhere as true or not. Maybe my Google foo is weak, but if anybody listening to this knows the reference, please send it to me. The same dentist thinks fluoride is toxic. Quote, the studies that exist aren't well designed, they are. Most dentists say that's what the ADA says and you got to use it. Personally, my take is that fluoride is quite toxic. But again, all the data suggests otherwise. 
You might go to the Institute for Science and Medicine and look at their white paper on fluoridation. It's a nice summary of the information to date. He then notes that the best approach to good dental hygiene is to eat whole foods, eat only three meals a day, and drink only water between meals. That's not bad advice, but it sure sounds like an unenjoyable life. Diet certainly does have effects on dentition, and then he wanders into the naturalistic fallacy. Quote, for millions of years, our ancestors did not get tooth decay. They did not floss, and they did not brush, end of quote. Besides the fact that people tended to die young utilizing natural medicine, for decades and centuries and millennia, the life expectancy was somewhere between 20 and 40 years, it does make it harder to develop caries. But they did get tooth decay, although much less than us, which is very interesting. There's a reference that looked at Neolithic and other incidents of tooth decay in teeth. Where else would you find tooth decay? And found that it varied from 1% to 2% in the hunter-gatherer period, all the way up to 14% in the medieval period, and different societies had different amounts of tooth decay. Natural medicine and healthcare reform. I've talked about this issue before, as has Jan Bellamy over at Science-Based Medicine. The statement, quote, Naturopaths are known for their focus on preventative medicine, end of quote. Like most statements of fact in the primer are, upon evaluation, not true when you look for supporting information. As discussed a few podcasts back, those under the care of a naturopath get less screening, get fewer vaccines, get more vaccine-preventable illnesses. Naturopaths most often prevent the imaginary diseases that they diagnose. But perhaps that was a typo, and they meant to say, Naturopaths are known for their focus on preventing medicine. Quote, Oregon needs to use every available provider in order to meet its needs of the giant influx of people the Affordable Care Act will bring to the system. End of quote. Alternative providers lacking the training and experience to prevent and manage real diseases. The basis of their education is neither science nor reality. I will quote me. Healthcare in the U.S. is a mess. I have no clue what the solution is. Personally, I hope for a single-payer system. I came to the conclusion long ago that sometimes there are no good solutions to some problems, just the least a bad solution. Right now, healthcare is a mess in innumerable ways. A single-payer system will make it a mess in one way. If you have a problem in astronomy, you don't call an astrologer. Sure, he knows the names of the planets and the stars and does have a good patter about how his system works. But astrology is nonsense. If you have a shortage of pilots, you don't hire a transcendental meditation practitioner to levitate the jet. At least not on a plane I would get on. And if you have a shortage of primary care providers, perhaps including those with inadequate training in real medicine, extensive knowledge of fanciful fields who treat cancer with alkaline water and misdiagnose asthma as a bloodstream bacterial infection, might not be the best choice to improve the health of a population. I grew up when Woodward and Bernstein were the height of what defined a good journalist. The information was accurate and exact. 
It has been a long time since all the president's men, and those standards do not seem to be on display at the Portland Monthly. Somehow I don't think I'm going to make it on their best doctors list next year. And that ends the 108th QuackCast. Remember to go online and write me glowing reviews. Otherwise, see you next time. Bye.